Okay, uh, be opening up your Bibles to the book of John, chapter 4. And as you know, we've been uh, studying the Gospel of John the last few weeks. Of course, John, as we've said many times, is a special gospel. It's different from the other three. The other three we call the synoptic gospels because they are very similar in, 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 a, uh, in events that are mentioned in style. And John is very different. John is, is not mentioned all the same events that happen that are mentioned in the first three. And John is, uh, is a little bit different, a little bit different style. And of course, we read the reason it was written in John chapter 20, verse 30. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. John says it right there. I wrote this book so you may know Jesus. And knowing Jesus, you may have life in his name. I mean, what else is there, right? Having life in his name. Not just eternally, not just after this life, but in this life. We can have true life. We talked about the fact that Jesus came into the world. He was the Word. The Word was with God in the beginning. We did that in in, uh, the first chapter of John. And then in verse 14, we read that that Word became flesh and dwelt among men. That we might see that light. We might have that life by believing in him. What a wonderful statement. What a wonderful verse, isn't it not? That we can truly have life. You know, you can live a life of existence and never really know why you're here, right? I mean, you can have a, a life. You go to day to day. You're busy. You have your daily things you got to do, work, play, whatever that is. But you never really consider it, perhaps. You never really think about why you're here. Yet, through Jesus Christ, we can have a joy that is beyond all understanding, beyond all measure. And you can live a life in this, in this world, in the, on this earth, that's fulfilled. Isn't that a wonderful thing? You don't have to worry. You don't have to worry about all the little things that happen, all the problems you have. Put your trust in Him. God has provided a way for us to live that is very meaningful. Well, last week, we read about the, uh, we were reading about, well, the last couple weeks, we've been reading about the, the uh, encounter that Jesus had with the Samaritan woman, remember? And the Samaritan woman at the well. And a couple weeks ago, we talked about that discussion, that, uh, that discussion that Jesus had with the woman and how he knew some things about her life that she, she couldn't believe. And she perceived that he was a prophet and he went on to tell her, I'm, you know, I'm the one. I'm the one talked about. That's the Messiah that's been prophesied about. So she went on to her, back to her town and she was able to tell them that she has found the one. And many believed because of that. So he was basically evangelizing, right? He was basically telling her about him, about who he was, about how you can have a full life and be saved. Last week we discussed something he mentioned in that diatribe about the living water, remember? We talked about that Jesus told the woman at the well that, you know, even though I I need a drink here physically, if you knew who I was you knew that I could give you living water. And what that living water was, it, it was a gift from God, right? We read about that and we saw that that was probably talking about the Holy Spirit that he could give. And as Christians, as believers, we're promised that gift of the Holy Spirit when we're baptized, we're baptized into him, into Christ, and that spirit dwells within us. We talked about the fact that 
course, in the first century, there were some miraculous gifts that came with that indwelling of the Spirit, and that, that ceased at a specific time as, uh, as, as they were not needed anymore. We read about that in 1 Corinthians 12 and 13. But we still can have that uh, promise, hold on to that promise that the Spirit indwells us, that dwells through our, our physical beings. Whatever that is, we don't know for sure. It's a mystery, but we can know that we have that gift from God, that living water, that promise, that fulfillment. Well, we talked about the fact that the Samaritan woman heard Jesus tell her that he knew about her five husbands that she'd had. And we heard him tell her that, in fact, the man she was living with at the moment was not her husband. So, basically, he knew that she was an adulteress. And how she immediately began to deflect, right? She, Whoa, I mean, you can imagine, right? How does this man know these things? I've never seen this man in my life. How does he know these things? And she deflected and started to talk about true worship. Well, what's that got to do with her adultery? And she talked about how the Samaritans said that they true wor- the true worshipers are to worship on Mount Gerizim, where they were. But the Jews said, no, you're supposed to worship in Jerusalem. And, they, and that was true, that they were to worship in Jerusalem. <laughs> in fact, let's turn over to chapter 4 and just read that real quick in verse 20. Actually, it's start 19. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Well, it turns out that that's true. The Jews were right. The true worshipers under the Old Testament would worship God from Jerusalem. The Samaritans, remember, were a mixed race where many Jews had married in with Gentiles. That, that was frowned upon, of course. And the Jews would not have much to do with them, right? In fact, we talked about if, if the Jews needed to travel from Judea to Galilee or back, they tended to go out around Samaria because they didn't want to pass through and have contact with the Samaritan people. Yet Jesus and the disciples were going back to Galilee and passed right through. Probably so Jesus could have this moment, could have this time to have this contact with the people. Well, today we're going to talk a little bit about this, what this true worship is, uh, where true worshipers should worship, and what that means exactly. Let's begin in chapter 4 there again in verse 21. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know, and we know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship Him. Now notice this first. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. All right. So here we have a very interesting set of verses. Jesus telling her that, yes, the Jews were to worship in Jerusalem, and I know he knew about, of course, that the Samaritans said it should be there on the mount where Jacob's well was established. But what did he mean by this statement that's saying that true worshipers would worship in spirit and in truth? 
Well, I'm sure you've heard that many times, right? And you've pondered it. I'm sure you've pondered that many times. What, what does that mean to worship in spirit and truth? Maybe you have an obvious answer in your head, or maybe it seems a little confusing to you. Perhaps you thought, what exactly does that mean? And many probably would say, well, well, to worship God uh, in, in spirit and truth simply means to worship from the heart. You know, I need to be serious about it. I need to be purposeful about it. I can't be flippant about it. I need, I need to be worshiping in a way that's serious. And perhaps to worship God in truth is to worship God according to what he says in his word, right? His commands. What the scripture says makes sense, right? I mean, uh, we, we talk all the time, the word is truth, right? God's word is truth. That's how we know what truth is. As man, we can't necessarily know absolute truth except by hearing the word of God. We have to have it revealed to us. That's how we learn it. Sure, we, we know things by nature, by just being in the world. But we can't necessarily know all the things of God until he's revealed that to us. And that's what we talk about, right? He's revealed that in his word. So perhaps that's what we mean from the heart and from the word. But it's interesting that we have a contrast here, right? Jesus makes a contrast. He's saying, yes, the Jews had worshipped correctly by going to Jerusalem, but there's a time coming when place would not be important. Hmm? Well, isn't that in the Scriptures, is that in the Old Testament, in the Word, that they were to worship there in Jerusalem? Yeah, that's true. But Jesus is saying, God is spirit. God looks for true worshipers. True worshipers were place. It doesn't matter. Place is not something that's going to matter. And so there's a contrast here, right, of the Old Testament worship and what is coming. And he even says, and now is. Perhaps this is something that's really what he has wished for all along. God required worship. That is very true. But what was it? Let's turn over to the book of Isaiah. And if you will, turn over there with me. Let's, let's read what the prophet Isaiah says about worship. Isaiah 1, and let's begin in verse 10. Isaiah 1.10. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me, says the Lord? Says the Lord, I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required this from your hand to trample my courts? Bring no more futile sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons, the Sabbaths, and the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity and the sacred meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They are a trouble to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good, seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, plead for the widow. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. They are, though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now flip over to Deuteronomy real quick, and let's read a couple of verses from there. Deuteronomy chapter 5. 
beginning in verse 32. Therefore, you shall be careful to do as the Lord your God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. You shall walk in all the ways which the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live and that it may be well with you, and that you may prolong your days in the land which you shall possess. Did God require worship from the heart in the Old Testament? Yes. Did He require worship that was directed by His Word? Yes. That is very true. I just read some scriptures there. He wasn't too happy about them worshiping when they're doing evil. And they're making a mockery of that worship. So, if Jesus says he desires people to worship in spirit and in truth, what's he talking about? If this is something different from worship from the heart and having harmony in God's word, what does that mean? Apparently, they weren't doing it, right? Or if they were, it wasn't exactly what God wanted. Well, what's it mean? Well, let's look at it. Worshiping God in spirit, what's it mean? To offer a spiritual worship. Well, in contrast to what he's talking about that, I guess it's going to be a physical worship, is it not? There's a difference, right? We have a physical body and we have a spirit. The physical body we can see, the spiritual body we cannot. God is spirit. Therefore, he wishes us to worship him in spirit. What's that mean? Well, the out, uh, Brother Copeland, the writer of the outline, quotes some of the commentary writers. McGarvey, he says, men must offer worship corresponding with the nature and attributes of God. Pretty simple, right? Johnson says, since he is spirit, he must receive spiritual worship. Yeah. Barnes says, a pure, a holy, a spiritual worship, therefore, is such as he seeks, the offering of the soul rather than the former offering of the body, the homage of the heart rather than that of the lips. So perhaps we're talking about a worship that's not physical, not carnal, not in keeping with what they did in worship in the Old Testament. Turn over to the book of Hebrews. We want to read about the differences in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Turn to the book of Hebrews. Very, uh, very much stuff about the differences. Chapter 9. Let's read verse 1. Then indeed, even the first covenant had ordinances of divine service and the earthly sanctuary. For a tabernacle was prepared, the first part, in which was the lampstand, the table, and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And behind the second veil, the part of the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant overlaid on all sides with gold, in which were the golden pot that had the manna, Aaron's rod that had budded, and the tablets of the covenant. And above it were the cherubim of glory, overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. Now when these things had been thus prepared, the priests always went into the first part of the tabernacle performing the services. But into the second part, the high priest went alone once a year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the people's sins committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit indicated this, that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing. Hmm. Notice these last two verses. It was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to the conscience. It didn't do it. Verse 10, concerned only with foods and drinks, various washings and flesh ordinances imposed until the time 
of Reformation. Hmm, what's he talking about right there? If you've been in the Wednesday night class, you've heard Brother Ben talk about this already, many times over. Hebrews tells us that there was a time for these things, these physical acts of worship, the sacrifices. But there's going to be a time when things are going to change. A time of physical structure with a tabernacle. The special priesthood with their special clothing. And if you haven't read about the special clothing, just go to Leviticus and read about it. Pretty amazing what they had to wear. The lampstands, the burning of incense, the instruments of music, the feast days, and the animal and meal sacrifices. All those things were going on in Old Testament worship. It's very detailed in the law. Very detailed what they had to do. Yet these appealed to what? The physical side, did they not? The carnal side. Not so much the spiritual side. Yes, there was that element. But this was more of a physical worship than perhaps a spiritual worship. Now we're in the New Testament. The great sacrifice has occurred. Things have changed a little bit. All right, let's look at some verses. We're going to be jumping around here in the New Testament for a minute. I want you to see these, though, because I think they're very important. 1 Corinthians 3, because it's such a contrast to what was in the Old Testament. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy. Which temple are you, or which temple you are? Where's the tabernacle today? We don't need that physical tabernacle anymore, right? Don't need that temple anymore. We are the house of God, the Spirit dwelling within us. We are the temple. Turn over to 1 Peter 2. First Peter 2, and let's look at verse 5. Actually, start with verse 4. Coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Do we need the Levites anymore? No. We are a priest. We are a holy priesthood. Don't need that anymore. That's changed. Interesting verse. Turn over to Revelation chapter 5. And you know, when the, uh, especially when the high priest on the day of Tumble went in, the burning of the incense was constantly going, and he had to have the, uh, I guess the incense, the smoke into the holy, most holy, so it was, it was murky, and of course he had the blood on the mercy seat. The incense was there as an aroma. For God, for, for their, to cover their sins. Verse 8 in chapter 5 of Revelation. Now what he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. So today, the incense, that great aroma, is the prayer of the saints, of those who are followers of God. Interesting how that contrast is there. Don't need the incense anymore. Ephesians 5, 19, not going to go and read it, but we're to make music with the melody of our hearts. We don't need the harps. We don't need the instruments to make melody from our heart. Acts 20, turn over there real quick. He had all the feasts. 
to remember Passover and the other feasts. Do we need those anymore? 20 and verse 7. Now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. We have a feast every week to remember what our Lord did for us. We don't need the feast of the Passover anymore. That was a shadow. We don't need the feast of Tabernacles, the feast of, uh, oh, I can't even remember all of them. There were so many. We have the only feast that we need, that remembrance of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then Hebrews 13, I'm going to go read it, but we have the spiritual sacrifices of praise and service, not of bulls and goats, sheep. So the physical ordinances of the Old Covenant were until the time of Reformation, mentioned in Hebrews 9. That time of Reformation came with the New Covenant. As Jesus said, the new worship is more in keeping with the nature of God. The nature of God is what? We just read it. God is spirit. Well, what's that mean? Okay, I can see. That means, yeah, we're not supposed to have all the, the sacrifices, have the tabernacle, we don't need the temple, the physical things and all that stuff. But what's it mean to worship in truth then? What is truth? How do we know? Well, real truth, real worship, what is it? What is true worship? To worship according to the commands of God? We read in Deuteronomy 5. Yeah, that sounds like it, right? We need to be worshiping according to what God says. Is there a true worship of God? But that's not necessarily a contrast to what was in the Old Testament, is it? Jesus is mentioning this as if it was not the same. So if that's true, what is it? What is the difference? Well, not between the true and false worship. Uh, it's not, it's, it was between what was true and what had been a shadow. Okay, I just mentioned that. The things that were going on in the Old Testament were a shadow of the new covenant. A worship was coming that was more in keeping with truth and reality as opposed to that symbol worship. Many elements of, the, of worship in the Old Testament were simply a shadow or figure of things to come. As we mentioned, the tabernacle was really a symbol. And it was. The symbol of God living with his people, right? That's where he lived. Not physically. Spiritually speaking, he was there. The temple the same. The law with its worship was only a shadow of what was to come. And that Christ is now in the true tabernacle, which is heaven. He is reigning in his kingdom. Sitting in his tabernacle in heaven, reigning in the kingdom, which has been established on earth as the church, the day of Pentecost. So, we should expect to be worshiping true, to be, uh, the worship of true, the true worship to be different than the shadow, right? Uh, we've already seen that to be the case. The old covenant worship was a shadow which was worshipped uh, in nature, was worshipped, was physical in nature. Uh, and the new covenant worship is according to the true realities. God is a spirit. Christ is in heaven and therefore more spiritual in nature. Therefore, the emphasis needs to be on the spiritual side, does it not? That which is true and that which is spiritual. Not the shadowy symbol. So, if you're Thinking of the explanation of what it means to worship in spirit and truth, 
we need to be thinking spirit. We need to be thinking new covenant, not the old physical things of worship. What does it mean to worship God? Not all worship is necessarily acceptable. Is that true? Well, we had a contrast there where he's talking about the fact that the Jews were correct in saying that worship should be done in Jerusalem. So, in the Old Testament, there was a true worship and a false worship. Do we still have that today? Well, let's take a look at that. Matthew 15, verse 7. Hypocrites! Well, did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Well, we may not necessarily have a difference in the way we're worshiping uh, in the New Covenant. We might come here on Sundays, worship together, you know, participate in the, in the things we do on a Sunday morning. But we can have a vain worship, can't we? Yeah. It can be false. Even when you're sitting here on Sunday morning. Matthew says it. Matthew writes about it. What Jesus said. These people draw to me with mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts far from me. You see, that spiritual worship is more from the heart. Not so much the physical side. It is more from the spirit. If, it, if, you're not, if you're not participating, if you're not in it, if your heart's not there, perhaps that's vain. And perhaps that worship is vain because it's based on the traditions of men more than the commands of God. That's the truth part. Offered without involving the Spirit and not looking at the commands. There's also an ignorant worship. Acts 17, I'm not going to go read it. Remember when Paul had the sermon about the after seeing the, the, uh, in Athens, after seeing the uh, statue to the unknown God, and he said, I'm telling you about that unknown God today. There's an ignorant worship, is there not? Ignorance of who God is, what He desires, what we are to do to honor Him. There's also a worship of the will. Colossians 2 talks about this. A will that we decide uh, that causes us to decide what's true worship, right? Self-imposed, not what God has directed. Not looking at what God wants in worship, but what we want. What we like. What we think is good. Have you ever heard someone say, I don't want to go to the church, I don't get anything out of it. Maybe you've said that sometimes. I don't know. Is that, is that the right way to look at it? Is it about you? Is it about your will? No. It's about God's will. Oh, sure, I, I understand. Worship can, I don't know, be a little boring at times. I know that. There's times when I come and I'm not really in the right mood. I know when you have little ones, getting them ready on a Sunday morning early getting yourself ready, getting the husband ready. I'm not going to say get the wife ready. That's not coming from my mouth. Yeah, you, you, you can get in that car and you can be in a bad mood, can't you? Yeah. 
So I'm not going to say every time you come here on Sunday morning, you, you're in spirit. I mean, we're physical people. We're be physical beings. It's not, it's not going to be there every time. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. But when you start taking that will and saying, uh, I like it this way. I like it that way. Instead of looking at what God wants, what he needs to have for worship, then that, right, you're, you're headed in the wrong direction. Start doing that. And spirit and truth. Spirit being true worship from the heart, not needing the physical characteristics of the Old Testament, and seeing what God wants for your life. We have the things we do in worship that we see they were doing in the First Testament, right? We have the commands, we have the pattern. Uh, they sung, we, we sing, we, we pray. We uh, have the communion each week. We have the word divided to us, hopefully rightly, in a way that's uplifting and edifying to us. Those are all good things. When we come together, we need that. We also have our fellowship together that we need. Because it's tough to live in this world as a Christian. It really is. We need each other. And I know during this pandemic, that's made it tough for a lot of folks. A lot of folks to have that uh, time of edification, time of encouragement, which we so greatly need. But just because we worship God does not mean he's pleased with it. Many offer carnal worship. Some will appeal to the Old Testament to say, this is why I'm doing this. Perhaps uh, they'll appeal to the authority of the Old Testament for things like you know instrumental music, burning incense, and other things, and they'll seek to justify that which appeals to the flesh or the senses, not the spirit. When someone says, "I like the way they do it over there," are they looking at it from a spiritual point of view? Is that what God really wants? That's that contrast that Jesus was talking about. It's not about the physical side of things. The physical's going away, folks. It's carnal. It's dying. It's not going to live forever. This body is going to die. It's not about our senses. It's not about what we want. It's about what he wants. Those that from the Old Testament seek to justify things through what they read in the Old Testament. Preferring what's based on how it sounds or how it feels sometimes, right? Perhaps that appeals to their flesh, what they want, through their fleshy, fleshly nature. Striving to be more spiritual, spiritual. Galatians 4, Paul writes that some reverted to becoming more carnal, becoming more physical. Went back to the things that they were doing before. He had to fight against that constantly, remember? Remember the Judaizing teachers in the synagogues that, where the Christians, are, he would convert them, and then he'd have the Jews coming in saying, wait, you've got to be circumcised, you've got to do this, you've got to do that. And he'd say, no, no, that's done away with. That Old Testament was nailed to the cross. We are under the law of love. God seeks true worshipers who worship God with the Spirit, seeking to engage the Spirit. You might say the mind, too. Part, you know, it's all part of that. More than the organs of the body. That's, a, that's a, 
you know, you could say that's the contrast uh, with the simplicity of worship that expresses the spiritual side of man as opposed to the physical. Those who worship God according to the rule of God by what he has prescribed in his word. Not desiring to return to those carnal desires. Following what's been ordained in the New Testament. Where we can worship God anywhere, anytime with the spiritual worship. And this is what he was referring to as far as the place goes. Turn over to Acts chapter 16. Let's read something there. Verse 25. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Paul and Silas were worshiping in the prison. Well, I thought you had to be in Jerusalem. Or as the Samaritans said, you had to be on Mount Gerizim. Nope. There's no set place. Remember, the temple is our body. We house the Spirit of God. We can worship anywhere. It doesn't have to be a specific place. Anytime, anywhere. This building is just a place we have to come together and worship. Doesn't have to be here. The building's just a building. It's physical. Nobody says we even have to worship here. You can do it at home. We have many at home that have been conducting family worship because they haven't been here. I know that's been going on. Nothing wrong with that. God seeks worshipers who seek to worship in spirit and in truth. How can we be sure to do this? Well, we have to use the New Testament as our authority, right? We have to go back and look and say, what were they doing in the first century? What was worship like? We know they met on the first day of the week to break bread. Just read that in Acts 20. We know they were singing with the melody of their hearts. We know that Paul was delivering a message to them. Even up to midnight. Now, I wouldn't want to have Kyle deliver a message today that we were here till midnight. But apparently that happened. All those things were going on, and that's what we're looking to follow. That's what we see. Following the commands, following the pattern that they were doing in the church in the first century. And really, it's something we should be doing just about every day, right? We don't come together every day, but we should be in spirit and in truth, praying, studying His Word, working in the kingdom, being of service. That should be foremost on our minds. I know we live our daily lives and we forget that, and it's hard to remember sometimes because we get really, really busy. And I hope this last few days you've had time to reflect on what God has done for you this year. Sure, it's been a tough year. A lot of tragedy going on in our families, in your, in your own lives, and in, in the congregation here. We've had some losses. Not necessarily to the virus, but, you know, family of folks here. Other things have occurred. It's tough. It's tough to get through. We need to thank God 
for his love for us and his willingness to save us from our sins by sending his son. The word that was in the beginning and was God who came in the flesh and dwelt among men. And that God that loved the world so much he gave him that we might have eternal life. That right there is enough for me to want to worship that God forever. The only God, the only true God. Is it not for you? That's enough for me. That's all I need. That's the motivation. And I'm going to find out any way I can what he wants for my life. And the way I do that is through a lot of study and prayer trying to understand what he wants for me in his word, using the New Testament as the authority for the way he is to be worshipped, the way he is to be loved. And our worship should be spiritual and not limited to a specific place. And the emphasis should be on the spiritual and not the physical, not how it looks or feels. and our relationship with others, as Jim said. Next time you hear someone say, I don't like going there, it just doesn't make me feel good, you might say to them, well, that's because you're worshiping in the physical. You're not worshiping in the spirit. And if somebody wants to talk to you about the fact that, well, we do this or that, you might say, well, not sure that's the truth because I don't see that in the first century. I don't see that in the New Testament. Great way to begin a discussion with someone. Right there. Why do you worship the way you do? I mean, that's, th this is what people would see, right, more than anything else. They see what you're doing. Not so much what you're thinking. And that's a great way to start a discussion. What I said today make any sense? I think this lesson was very good in that it helped to understand what's he mean when he says worshiping in spirit and truth. There's a difference in what was in the Old Testament, the shadow. Yes, we need that to know why things are done today, but that was physical in nature. Now we worship in spirit and in truth. All right, I hope you'll take that with you and apply it to your lives and grow because of it. Thanks for being here. Our time is up.